He 
Good morning and happy Sabbath to everyone. A grand thank you to Brother Ruben Capistrano for his ministry of music, for our ministry to the people. May God bless all. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father Heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we can not only call upon you, but you can call upon us and that we can meet uh, in this way, uh, gathered together by faith, based on God's word. No distance can separate us from the love of God and the power of God and the truth of God, especially as we consider more carefully, more focusedly on the word of God being the Holy Scriptures today. Bless all who have come. Bless all who are listening. Bless all who are watching. Bless all who are searching that they may find. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The study that we are going to be starting um, this Sabbath is why study the Holy Scriptures. And then following that will be how to study the Holy Scriptures. So to that first part, you know, instead of me doing all the talking uh, in this particular sermon study, I will allow and let the Word of God speak more for itself. And I would like to start with a verse that will tell you why we need to study the Word of God more than ever before. In Amos 8, 11, and 12, and I want you to listen very carefully. The prophet says, Behold, and remember this, prophets wrote more for our time than our time. That's why they were called prophets. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Verse 12 says, And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. So I want now to go immediately to these verses to speak for themselves regarding the importance and why we should be studying the Holy Scriptures more than ever before in view of this warning. In Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, and this is from the New King James Version. For the Word of God is living. In the King James Version, it uses the word quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of whom with whom we must give an account. Or the King James Version uses, to whom we have to do. Remember, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That is the Lord Jesus. And he will have mercy on him. And let him return to our God, that must be the Father, for he will abundantly pardon. Then we see the famous passages here, very familiar to many. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 10 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word of the Lord will not return void to him. Wow. In 2 Timothy 2.15, reason why we study the word of God, Paul writes to the youngest apostle, Timothy. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. That is not to man, but unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Why? Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's from the King James Version. Now in Matthew 4, verse 4, now you Christians know this. Matthew 4 is the temptation of Christ. So knowing that in his adopted human nature, Jesus was at the extreme end of hunger due to fasting 40 days, continuously 40 days and 40 nights. Satan's first temptation to Jesus was, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Matthew 4, verse 3. Well, we're told that Jesus is the Word Himself. In the, beginning was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So Jesus, the Word Himself, demonstrated to the world, to man and to angels, how not to yield to temptation, overcome sin and defeat Satan. Satan, the father of lies and murder from the beginning and the master deceiver and tempter himself. How? How did Jesus do that? Well, he used what Paul refers to in the whole armor of God as the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. We come to this conclusion because there is no other. If you read Matthew chapter 4, it is written was Christ's chosen weapon. He quoted scriptures and he quoted it from memory. He didn't have a Bible there when he was in front of Satan. He quoted it from memory at the same moment and at the very precise place of temptation. Not before, not later, but precisely at that moment. And what did he do? 
he repeated what Moses declared to the doubting and the stubborn Israelites centuries earlier. Jesus confronted Satan's crafty temptations with, He said it, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, let's turn back to where Jesus quoted that from. Because the New Testament wasn't written yet. It was quoting the scriptures. It is written, it was referring to the books of Moses. So we read in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 what Moses told Israel, declared to them. He said, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers or forebears know, that he might make you know that men shall not live by bread alone, but by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Now question, how and through whom did God speak his word to the people? Well, this is an interesting uh, verse, but precisely answering the very same question that we should be asking today. How does God speak to us today? In 1 Samuel 9, we read, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And Peter amplifies on this in 2 Peter 2, verse 20 and 21. He says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures is of any private interpretation. Verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men, and holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 2.20 and 21. In Hebrews 8, or Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul declares and wrote down, God who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers, those were the patriarchs, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. In Acts 17.11, here's a commendation made to a group of people. Then, and especially now, on the topic, why study the scriptures? In Acts 17.11, Apostle writes this, referring to the Bereans in Berea. They were more noble or fair-minded than those who were in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Very, very important open-minded, but willing to search and determine the veracity 
and the truthfulness of what they heard. Acts 17.11 In Proverbs 9, 9 and 10, we read, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. In John 7, 17. This is very important. Jesus said, If any man will do his will, the Father's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. There is a condition in order for us to discern and appreciate the word of God. If we are willing to do the will of the Father. Again, Paul, apostle. The apostle Paul addressing Timothy wrote in 2 Timothy 3 verses 13 to 17. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing that from whom you have learned them. Verse 15 says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or perfect, in the King James Version, thoroughly equipped or furnished for every good work. Again, Apostle Paul exhorted and at the same time warned the early church in Rome, but particularly now, during this judgment hour, that was announced by the first angel's message beginning uh, in the movement, the Advent movement in 1840 in Romans 14, 10 and 12. And you all need to read this for yourself. Romans 10, 14 verses 10 and 12. He declares, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in verse 12, giving more detail, so then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Romans 14, 10 and 12. John the Beloved wrote in his so-called big epistle of the Gospels, John 1, verses 1 to 5 and 9 to 15. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4 says, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. And then in verse 9, 
That was the true light, which lighteth with life every man that cometh into the world. In verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 11, he came to his own, his own chosen people, that was a Jewish nation, and his own received him not. On the other hand, in verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become. They were not. To become the sons of God. I would say sons and daughters of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13. Here's the most important thing about this. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And verse 14, this is the mystery of the incarnation in verse 14. And that word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John chapter 1, 1 to 5 and 9 to 15. You see, Jesus is the living word. What we are reading and listening to and quoting today is the written word. So this living word, written word, is the spiritual manna. It's called the heavenly manna, which came down from heaven. Is he who was in the beginning with God and through whom God created the heavens and the earth and the worlds of war. And then, 4,000 years after the fall of the first Adam in Eden, in the great mystery of godliness, as Paul speaks of in 1 Timothy 3.16, he was made flesh. He was made flesh and thus he manifested God in the flesh, in the incarnation, when God became a man. By the way, the only sinless man in the flesh, as Paul refers to him as the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 47. He says to all, Jew or Gentile, Christian or heathen or pagan, whoever, but especially those who have or claim to be born again, and thus they should be better enlightened in the things of God, and therefore they are more accountable. How do we know? Well, Jesus declared this in a parable. Luke 12, 48, he says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, much more is given. To him they will ask more. So unto whom much is given, much is required. In Matthew 12, 32 to 37, we read, um, Jesus says this, verse 12, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> it says, A good man out of the treasure of his good heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his evil heart will bring forth evil things. But I say to you, 
But I say to you that for every idle word that man may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. In verse 37, follow-up says, For by your words you will be justified. And the word justified is forgiven. And by your words you will be condemned. That is in the judgment. Matthew 12, 32-37. See how important it is to study God's word? Just with a few verses we're looking at now. Now what does idol mean? Well, if you look at the Greek original word of this, it is a combination word. One is from ergon and argos. Well, argos means inactive, idle, unemployed, but by implication, lazy, barren, no content, no substance, or slow. The other Greek word is ergon, means to work, to toil, or an effort or an occupation, but by implication, an act or a deed or work, and includes instruction and teaching. Well, that's very important. Those who are teaching and instructing should be very careful about any word that they use regarding the Word of God. Now, let me cite a couple of extra biblical references, but according to the topic. This I found from a poem written, All for Love, by John Dryden. He wrote, Errors like straws upon the surface flows. He who would search for pearls must dive below. How beautiful it is, right? And then in Ernest Maltowers, Maltowers rather, the author was Bulwer Lighton. He penned these words. He says, There is no anguish like an error of which we feel ashamed of. There is no anguish like an error of which we feel ashamed. So it's better not to commit these errors because anguish is its result. But here is a very important reference that I'd like to emphasize. It comes from the inspired pen of Ellen White in that book called The Great Controversy, which I usually refer to as the handbook in these last days. The particular chapter is called Scriptures, A Safeguard. How proper and appropriate, isn't it? On chapter 37. Here we read, it says, God has given us his word that we may become acquainted with its teachings and know for ourselves what he requires of us. Then she quotes this, when the lawyer came to Jesus with the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What did the Savior do? The Savior referred him to the scripture saying, what is written in the law? How do you read it? How read us now? Ignorance will not excuse young or old, nor release them from the punishment due to the transgression of God's law, because there is in their hands a faithful presentation of that law and all of its principles and all of its claims. 
And so it is not enough to have good intentions. It is not enough to do what a man thinks is right or the minister tells him is right because his soul's salvation is at stake and he should search the scriptures for himself. However strong may be his convictions, however confident he may be that the minister knows what is the truth, that is not his foundation. He has a chart, or the Bible, pointing out every way mark in his heavenward journey. Well, heavenward is the exact opposite of earthward. And so he ought not to guess at anything. It is the first and highest duty of every rational to learn from the scripture what is truth and then to walk in the light and then to encourage others to follow his example. I'd like to dwell a little more on this passage. Take note, there are three things God requires of all rational beings regarding the Holy Scriptures, which is his word, the Bible. One, the first and highest duty of every rational person to God is to learn from the scriptures, not from any source, what is scriptures, what is truth? That is Bible truth. What rational means acting in accordance with reason of a sound judgment, level-headed, in the right and normal state of mind. Obviously excluded are those who are irrational, unreasonable, mentally incapacitated or challenged for whatever cause or reason, or worse, might have lost the jewel of their mind. As Nebuchadnezzar, the proud king of ancient literal Babylon, experienced for seven years as God's judgment upon him, so that during that seven-year period, you know, Nebuchadnezzar acted and even looked and ate like with the beasts of the field. That's recorded in the whole of Daniel chapter 4. There are 37 verses. Let's, let's remember also what Paul wrote to, in 2 Timothy. Right? To learn from the Bible what is the truth and to study. Paul says, why do we study? Study to show thyself approved unto God not in order to impress men or to earn a degree in theology. And it says a workman or a worker that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. These are working Bible students. The Bible works for them. They need never be ashamed, and I'll tell you why. Because he has diligently divided the word of truth. That is proven because it will withstand the closest scrutiny of the Bible itself and by its light will reveal and expose the doctrinal errors and lies and deceptions and the schemes of Satan and his agencies, particularly as Paul says in these perilous times of the last days.
Now, question, what did Solomon, the wisest and richest man who ever lived, conclude? After all his, I would say, practically exclusive one-off incredible life experiences, where first he said, Ecclesiastes 2.11, he says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor which I had toiled, and behold, all was vanity and grasping for the wind or vexation of spirit in King James Version, and there was no profit under the sun. But most importantly, in Solomon's relation of this account, he says, in the ultimate conclusion of all things, he declared and wrote for posterity and for eternity the following words. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every word, every word too, into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, number two, to walk. To walk, what does to walk mean? It's a favorite word used by all the writers in the Bible. It actually means to live, to move and have our being. Uh, as written in Acts 17, 28. To live, to move, to have our being is to walk. To walk in all the increasing light of truth that we are learning. That's progressive. The Bible says briefly, yet profoundly, of the very first man who was translated to heaven without tasting that. That man's name was Enoch. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Verse 22 says, And after he begat Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years, and he begot sons and daughters. Verse 23 says, So all the days of Enoch were 365. A year? No, years. Verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God for 365 years. That's over three centuries, isn't it? Not merely 365 calendar days. And he was not, for God took him. What does that exactly mean? Where in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, in verse 5, we read, Paul explains this. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see or taste or experience death. And he was not found because God had translated him. However, here's what he says. For before his translation, he had this testimony. And what was his testimony? That he pleased God. You see, Enoch's living testimony was not merely lip service or profession of faith, but by the eloquence of a sanctified life and righteous works and righteous living. His character pleased God and thus glorified God. How long? For three long centuries. He walked with God for three long centuries. He pleased God for three long centuries. And to think that Enoch lived such a life pleasing to God at the very time when the long-lived antediluvian generation was soon to be destroyed by the flood because of their exceeding incorrigible wickedness 
Here's a sobering, heart-searching thought for all of us. How about you and me? Living at this very time before Jesus returns in all his glory, which he solemnly described in these words, and we will end at this point. In Matthew 24, 37 to 40, Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, that surfeiting and excess and gross intemperance and wild abandon. They're marrying and giving in marriage. Have you ever heard about wedding bells today and divorce proceedings tomorrow? Until the day that Noah and his family of seven entered the ark that is on the 120th year as prophesied. And they did not know till the flood came and took them all away so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. I will end it with that and continue this in the next series with that question. Enoch walked with God for three centuries. Are we able to walk with God for seven uninterrupted days this week? at this time. If he did it then, we can do it now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father heaven, we thank you so much for the scriptures. The time is very soon when the famine will not be of bread and water, but of this word. And so with whatever remains, we pray that you shall move upon us, convict us, awaken us to search the scriptures Store our minds with the precious truths for these last days so that we'll be able to stand on the word when the word is removed from us. This we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.